Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas with Life Over Coffee. We're having conversations for transformation. I am doing the second part of our seven-part series, the Friendship Series, Building Quality Relationships. We at Life Over Coffee exist to bring hope and help to you and others by creating resources that spark conversations for transformation. And so I trust that you have listened to lesson one or you watched it. It would benefit you most of all to watch it. I am doing an animated uh, keynote presentation, so there are many things on the screen that you want to watch as you work through this series. Also, please let your friends know about it. The Friendship Series, Building Quality Relationships, lesson number one was knowing God. And so I want to build out from that. So this is lesson number two. I've titled it Trusting God's Word. Now throughout this series, we have uh, one verse that we're using. The key verse is in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 12. John said this, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And so again, this is lesson number two talking about trusting God's Word as we build quality friendships with each other. And so the big idea is the sufficiency of Scripture means that we can trust God's commands regarding relationships, whether others treat us right or not. Let's take a look at the outline. Point number one, what is psychology? Number two, the one another's. Number three, vetting reciprocal relationships. Number four, expectations among the fallen. And then number five, motive for relationships. Let's go to point number one, what is psychology? Psychology is a good word. What it means, I mean, defined technically, it is two words, psyche and logos, Uh, You could say that the word psychology means the study of the soul. And so Christians should embrace the word psychology. I recognize that there is competition afoot about this word as the secular culture takes psychology and they they bend it, they, they upload it with their own meanings. And of course, we understand that there's always competing worldviews. Uh, for example, we are creationists. We believe that in the beginning, God created the world. Well, our secular counterparts have chosen to reject the creation narrative, and so they came up with their own schema. Uh, It has a lot to do with evolution and survival of the fittest and so forth. Well, psychology is also in competition with the secular culture, but it doesn't mean that we need to not use the word. What it does imply is that we need to define the word accurately, And the most accurate way to think about it is psyche and logos, the study of the soul. Psychology belongs to the logos family. It is a deep and rich family that you are familiar with. Let me introduce some of the family members in the logos family. Theology, theos logos, is the study of God. Bibliology is the study of the Bible. Christology, the study of Christ. Pneumatology, you see the word air there in the word pneuma. Pneumatos, walking in the spirit, pneumatology, the study of the spirit, anthropos logos, anthropology is the study of humanity, soteriology is the study of salvation, hermodiology is the study of sin, 
Ecclesiology, well, that, of course, is the study of the church. Eschatology, as many of you know, is the study of end times. This is part of the Lagos family, and so it makes sense that psychology should be part of the family, and we should treat it with respect, and we should define it accurately. Psychology is the study of the soul. Let's get inside this word. In Genesis 2-7, it says that God created the soul, so he is the author of the psyche. It says in Genesis 2-7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul or a living creature. Creature and soul are good synonyms here. I am reading from the ESV, the King James Version will say a living soul. And so God is the author of the psyche. And then in 2 Timothy 3.16, we read again where God is breathing again, where he has breathed out. He not only created the soul, but he created the word concerning the soul. The text says in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for four things, teaching reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And this is what we see in Colossians 1.28, that we should admonish every man, teach every man, so that we may be complete in Christ. Well, we do this by God's Word. And so as we're talking about building quality relationships, in lesson number one, it begins by knowing and loving God because, well, He has communicated love to us, and so we're sourced in God, and now we can build relationships as the love of God flows in us and through us into other people. Well, there has to be a strategy. There has to be a guidebook for doing that, and that's why lesson number two is trusting God's Word. Now that we love Him, we want to trust His Word. And so if you look at 2 Timothy 3.16, I want to animate that on the screen. There are four things that God's Word will do. The first one, Paul says, and the linkage here is important. So notice the sequence. First of all, it will teach you. And so we read God's Word. We hear it preached from a pulpit on Sunday morning. We are sharing God's Word with another person as we do life over coffee. However we hear God's Word, there are times when it will convict us, or as Paul said, it will reprove or rebuke us. The idea here is that God's Word will knock us down uh, from time to time, and that does not have to be a bad thing. As you see on the screen here, I have animated this as a, a target, like on an archery range, and that is the, the metaphor that we use to describe hermodiology, the doctrine of sin. It is someone who misses the mark, and so you see yourself shooting an arrow down the range at the target, and you miss the mark. Oh, we call that sin. And so as you hear God's Word, as you're doing life over coffee with another friend, and God convicts you of something, well, it is a rebuke or a reproof. And of course, that is not a bad thing for the Christian because God does not leave us down. Uh, the next link in the sequence is that God's Word corrects. The idea here is like the setting of a bone. And so we hear God's Word. It convicts us. It knocks us down. God corrects us. He picks us back up. We are heading in another direction. And that is the fourth link in the sequence. 
is that God's Word trains us. And so as we exhibit the love of God in other people, we use the Word of God as our guidebook. It is the purest form of psychology. The Bible is the purest psychology known to humanity, and we can trust it as we build relationally with other people. You see some of the one another's in the New Testament. I'm not going to give you a complete list here. I would encourage you to do that research. In fact, that would be a good homework assignment as you're going through this series. In just a moment, I will give you a document that you can download to your device, and you can use it as a template and do a a study of the 30-plus one another's in the New Testament. And as you apply these various texts to your life, it will help you. It will motivate you and give you practical instruction on how to build quality relationships with each other. So I want to pause for just a moment and reiterate that so that you uh, make a note of it. Make a note as you're you're taking notes uh, that I want to Uh, do this homework assignment. I want to go through the 30 plus one another's and then practically apply it to my life. Let's take a look at a couple of them. In Romans 12, 10, it says to prefer one another. To prefer, you could say, to outdo like a a good faith competition with another person. I want to outdo you in brotherly love. We used to have this competitive event when our children were younger because we wanted to instill this concept in their mind. We called it serving one another. We want to outserve each other. And so uh, we would say from time to time that you are not permitted to outserve me. And so if one child uh, served, did something kind to another, if mom did something wonderful as she typically does, or if I served the family, someone in the family say, that is not permitted, I want to outdo you. It was a good faith, good-hearted way of practicing this idea, especially from a parenting perspective as we were instilling this idea of what Jesus taught us in Mark 10, 45. I did not come here to be served, but I came to serve others. And Paul was saying in Romans 12, 10, that we want to prefer one another in brotherly love. Another one another is in Romans 15, 14, where we are to warn. I talked about in lesson number one that our love for each other is not this gushy cultural love. It is balanced by both courage and compassion. Compassion without courage does lead you to the culture's version of love. Courage without compassion leads to a harshness which is also unacceptable. But here in Romans 15, 14, we are told that we are to admonish one another. How or what with? With God's psychology book, with God's Word. And so we want to trust God's Word because it will allow us to build those quality relationships. Another one another is the same mind, too, in Romans twelve sixteen. Have modest opinions of yourself toward others. This would be an excellent text to research and do some practical application. We see restore in Galatians 6, 1. Uh, 2 and 3, restore one another in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself so that you too are not tempted. The word restore here in the Greek is kartetizo. You will see this word two other times, or the Greek word two other times in the New Testament in Mark one nineteen. 
It talks about mending nets, to use the English language there, of mending. And you really see a picture there of what we want to do with each other if we're building quality relationships. We want to put our nets back together. You also see in Hebrews 11.3 that when God created the world out of nothing, he, he spoke into the chaos. And we see what God's Word will do. When you speak into the chaos, it brings order. And those are the three places where you see Cartizo, Mark 1.19, Hebrews 11.3, and then here, as you see on the screen, Galatians 6.1. We are Cartizo. We are mending. We are speaking God's Word into the chaos of our lives. We are restoring one another in a spirit of gentleness. And then in Hebrews 10, we see stirring up. This word stimulate or stir one another to love and good deeds, from an etymological perspective, you can also tease out this idea of biblically irritating one another. And you also always want to make sure that when you use the word irritate, that you modify it with the word biblical. That's why I said we biblically irritate one another. That's the idea of a rebuke or a reproof, or correction, as you saw on the previous animation. God comes into our lives, and in the moment, it can feel irritating. But it is biblically irritating because he wants to prod us from where we are stuck. He wants to stimulate it. He wants to stir us up to love and good deeds. And that's the, that's the idea here in Hebrews 10. And then in Ephesians 4.29, of course, a text you all are familiar with, encourage one another, building them up. This is just six places where you see the one another verses. Now on the screen here, what you can do is put your device, your phone up, uh, your camera, and you can download this graphic that you see on the right. And what I would like for you to do in lesson two our friendship series, Building Quality Relationships, I would love for you to go through. I have 31 here that you see on the screen. You can download this PDF, and you can work through all 31 of these making practical applications. If you will take the time uh, to do this, uh, it will have not just immediate, but residual and ongoing benefit in your relationships. Lesson number two, trusting God's Word. Well, there has to be a vetting process. And and in this point, I'm talking about vetting reciprocal relationships. As you may remember, if you did lesson number one, I showed you a friendship map, and I talked about how all friends are not created equal. And so it is essential that you vet the relationships, but I am speaking of reciprocal relationships. These are your most intimate relationships because there is an equitable give and take in those relationships. Most of the relationships that you will have will be unidirectional where you are providing the comfort, where you are providing the love, where you are providing the encouragement, and that is fine. There should always be way more relationships that are unidirectional. You should be serving more people than you have uh, reciprocal relationships with. One of the reasons for that is because you can only be so intimate with a small number of people because of the time involved because of the depth of the relationship, because of the intimacy, because of the necessity of the reciprocality, meaning that most people will not be able to, to engage you at this level 
And you can't do that, but with so many people. Jesus only had, well, as I showed on that screen, a relationship map from lesson number one. Uh, Peter, James, and John were his most intimate. Again, you can't build that deep with five, six, or seven people. And so you want to carefully vet these few reciprocal relationships. Now, as you think about them, one of the things you want to consider is that everybody cannot steward your truth. Meaning as you grow more intimate with another individual, you want to be careful with what you say to them because they can't handle your truth. You may remember the uh, animation that I showed in lesson number one about how to have a koinonia where you are sharing both sides of your relationship with God, the positive side and the negative side, where we are yet to appropriate God's grace into some areas in our lives, where you want to be careful with who you share those those difficult things that are going on behind your fig leaves uh, that are going on in your life. Again, these types of relationships are your most intimate and you want to vet them carefully because you could share too much to the wrong person, and so you want to be wise in what you communicate. Here's a good way of thinking about reciprocal friends. Uh, two questions that I that goes through my mind, that if I am going to share the intimate things about my life uh, that you might not know, question number one is, are you trustworthy? Can I trust you? with what I am sharing with you. Now, you're not going to know that immediately. And so when you meet a friend, you're not going to just blurt out whatever your deepest and darkest secrets are. You're going to build these relational bridge. It takes time to build these reciprocal relationships. But one of the things that you're looking for is the trustworthiness of the person that you are talking to. It doesn't make them a wrong relationship. It doesn't make them a bad relationship. But the placement of the relationship on this relationship map that I built out in lesson number one is absolutely essential. And so over time, uh, you will begin to learn how they talk about other people would be one of the things that you want to vet. Do they gossip? Do they slander? How do they talk about others? Well, if they talk about others in a negative light, if they are critical, if they are slanderous, well, then they will do that to you as well. But if they can steward other people's truth, if they understand discretion, well, perhaps you have a trustworthy friend there. And so if I'm going to share my deeper truths with someone, uh, the first question that I'm asking is, can I trust you with that truth? The second question is, are you able to help me? I mean, can you help me? Are you able to reciprocate? Can you bring God's word to my life? Can you speak God's word into the chaos of my life so that I can mature? These are two critical questions that you're asking. Now, again, if the people in your life aren't able to meet this standard, that's fine. You just don't let them into your most intimate space. You want to pray. I'll talk about that later of how to find these reciprocal relationships as we move through uh, these lessons. Now, one of the things that you'll have to wrestle with is expectations among fallen people. I think sometimes that we can set the bar too high with people, thus we place an expectation upon them that they cannot possibly meet. And so when I say here, as you see on the screen, expectations among the fallen, it means that we're all fallen. Uh, 
I, I trust that everybody that's listening or watching this screen, this keynote presentation, that you're born again, but you're not perfected yet. So there are traces of fallenness in all of us. And we want to be careful as we are building quality relationships with each other that we don't elevate our expectations to such a degree that we set ourselves up for disappointment and we set ourselves up for fracturedness inside the relationships. I want to walk through what I I believe it was Paul Tripp that taught this in a conference I was attending many years ago. And he talked about this idea of desires. When when normal, and I'm speaking of good desires, when good desires are morphed or uh, when they're pumped up to where they become needs, uh, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. Let me explain through this animation. So let's say that you have a desire. It may sound something like, I would like for you to fill in the blank. I would like for you to put the dishes away. I would like for you to cut the grass. I would like for you to love me. Those are good desires. There's nothing necessarily wrong with them. But what happens too often with some of our good desires is that we we pump them up. We impregnate them. Uh, they morph into, they go beyond desires and they become needs. And a need can sound something like, as you see on the screen here, I need for you to cut the grass. I need for you to put the dishes away. I need for you to love me. And once it makes that transition from desires to need, uh, now we're on a downward spiral because in many of these situations, we have set up the relationship for failure. And if we do not guard our hearts, then we're going to be hurt by that relationship. And so what's desires? See, the thing about desires is that you can get them or not get them met, but you're not managed by them. That's the difference between a desire and a need. We only have a few needs. You need water. You need food. You need shelter, depending on where you live. There's only a few things that we, we need to be born again but most things that we need aren't really needs. They are desires. And it would be fantastic to have somebody to love you. There's no question about that. It would be fantastic to have many of these other desires met. But if we elevate desires to need, we're going to live in perpetual ongoing disappointment because here's, what's hap here's what happens next when our desires morph into need. We have an expectation. Now I expect you to do this for me. And if we're not careful, that expectation will turn into a demand. You should do this for me. And sometimes we don't even realize what just happened in our minds. I expect it. And even though we are not sounding demanding, our internal logic is saying that, no, you're going to do this for me. You should do this for me. And maybe we would not qualify that as a demand, but that's exactly what it is and, of course, in many of these situations, the next step downward is you're going to be disappointed, which sounds like you did not do what I ask. And in too many cases, the last step in this downward spiral is punishment because you didn't. I will punish you. I will punish you by the silent treatment. I will punish you by gossiping about you. I will punish you by criticizing you. I'll punish you by getting angry 
at you. And so we want to be careful in our relationships, our expectations among the fallen, that we want to hold our desires loosely, and we want to carefully define them to make sure that we haven't made this translation from desire to need Because once we do, once that need is not met, it sets up an expectation, which turns into a demand. It's a setup for disappointment, and we end up punishing people when we could go back to making it a desire. And when it's not met, rather than turning on the individual who did not meet the desire, we can talk to God and ask God to help us to wrestle through this without placing unnecessary expectations or mean-spirited accusations and statement-making on someone who did not meet what we have turned into a need. We're talking about expectations among fallen people. In this case, I'm talking about expectations among Christian people. I want to walk through what the, I want to walk through the life of a marriage in four sequences, and so I want to animate this on the screen. And so what we have here is the four steps to the life of any marriage, as you see. And it begins with what God said of Adam. It's not good for a man to be alone. I talked about this in Lesson 1. One of the reasons that we do not want to be alone is because we cannot image God most effectively by ourselves because God is a community. And so to have a community or koinonia, we need other people, and so it's not good for man to be alone. So Biff and Mabel... They meet. We're going to call this the dating season. The dating season, as I have described it before, is that artificial season where two people fake each other out until they get married. This is the place where we put the best foot forward. You do not know each other in the most intimate ways, as you will know each other 60 years from now after you have been married. Uh, That is the liability. That is the risk of the dating season. But you do want to be careful during this season because it can only produce so much. It can only reveal so much. It's not a negative on the dating season. It is just what it is. It is what you expect at the early stages of a relationship. But as that dating season continues along. Eventually, the couple believes that they should get married, and so they do, and then that moves them out to the next part and the longest part of their lives, and that is the marriage season, and the hope is that they will be able to continue to mature relationally with each other. Now, during the the marriage season, uh, life does pick up. It's not dating, Uh, any longer. Not like the dating season. There's children that will probably come along. There's jobs. There's financial um, requirements. There's financial reversals. There's so many other things that will happen. You start building other relationships. It's not just you uh, hugging each other on the couch for hours on end and spending uh, more hours talking to each other on the phone. No, you have jobs to do and There's babies to feed. There's life that is happening. It is the marriage season, and so it creates a little more separation between husband and wife. And this can be a this is the critical part of your relationship because if you're not careful, if you don't have a plan, uh, you can start creating pockets of silence between each other. That relationship. Uh, It is not as tight as it used to be. If you build it the wrong way, 
This is the marriage season. And then uh, number four, the fourth stage here, is the empty nest season. The empty nest season is as the children uh, move out of the house, as they build their own autonomous domestic empires, and now the husband and wife come back together again. Like the dating season, but there have been so many years and decades between them, water under the bridge where they haven't maintained their relationship well. They can come back together, virtual strangers, or even worse, with many animosities toward each other and secrets and those pockets of silence that have grown cancerous because they haven't taken care of those uh, things that have happened between them over the decades and the emptiness season could prove a time when they get a divorce, which is common, and some people will wonder. They, they will say they've been married for 35 years and they got a divorce. I don't understand. Well, it's easy to understand because they haven't taken our friendship series and they don't know how to build quality relationships. As you notice, the, the part that I haven't really talked about is step number one that you see on the screen. I talked about the dating season, number two, the marriage season, number three, the empty nest season, number four, when lightning strikes. But Stage number one is that Biff and Mabel brought a lot of baggage into their relationship. Now, on the screen here, if you put your uh, phone camera up, you can download this graphic uh, to your device and, and use it in your discussions with your friends, your spouse if you are married, and, and other people that you want to uh, build with and instruct. But point number one is when Biff and Mabel come, came together, they came together with their individual and unique baggage. Uh, they have shaping influences. They had an independent life away from each other, not connected in any way to each other. They are two different individuals. And when they came into the dating relationship, they set their individual baggage aside. They built relationally with each other and just had a wonderful time and they weren't thinking well about how to build relationships, about reciprocal relationships and transparency and honesty and stewarding each other's truths. The very things that I'm talking about in this series, and then they moved out into their marriage with no, what, what I call, it is no sin plan. They have no way of working through the things that are wrong with them. And when I'm talking about a sin plan, it's like you have a financial plan, you have an end-of-life plan with, with insurance and, and, and funeral plans, and we have all kinds of plans. We have 401K and many other types of plans, but many couples' relationships do not have a sin plan, and what I'm talking about here is repentance. We do not have a plan to remove the things that come into our relationships, and they, they separate us one from another. Later on, I'll get into some of the key aspects of repentance, because in this series, I do want you to have a sin plan. But for now, I want to talk about motive for relationships. And this is one of the ways that it's stated. I've heard this before. I've done those things for my wife, but she continues to be a nag. Sometimes we can have competing motives. One of our motives can be conditional a conditional motive says, I do good and I expect you to do good. That is an improper, impure, unbiblical motive. A conditional motive, as this statement communicates, is not the motive that we want to have for our relationships. 
if we have the wrong expectations on uh, fallen relationships, as we all have traces of fallenness in us, we can begin to twist our motives where our love is not flowing from us and toward another person, as I talked about in Lesson 1, but our love starts with us and it turns back into us, as you see here in this statement. And now we have a conditional motivation for loving this other person. Our motivation should be to glorify God, meaning I will do good regardless of what you do. A friend of mine told me many, many years ago, his name is John Stansel. Uh, he said it this way. He said, I cannot make you love me, but you cannot stop me from loving you. And that is a great way of thinking about how to love other people no matter what they do to you. Now, again, I'm not talking about that gushy kind of love. Sometimes that love will have courage attached to it. Nobody could stop Jesus from loving them. He loved the rich young ruler so much that he spoke the truth to him in a very direct way because he could not do otherwise. And so as we are trusting God's word in our relationships, we want to make sure that we are carefully recognizing how God's word is operative in our hearts. And so I want to draw that animation out for you. If God's word is not transforming our hearts, it's going to affect the fruit of our lives. If our motives are impure, well, then that's going to affect the relationships that we build. Jesus said it this way in Matthew seven sixteen: You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? I would say it this way. Show me the fruit in someone's life, and I will tell you what they think about God. Remember lesson number one, our relationships build from knowing and loving God. And if that is situated correctly, properly, then out of that love that we have for God and the love of God that is affecting us, it's going to affect our hearts, and then our motivation for relationships will be pure. And so let's take a look at the fruit the relationships in our lives, and how it reveals what we think about God and what the nature of our relationship with God is. So for example, the fruit of my life, let's say that I make that statement that you saw on the previous slide. I've done all this thing for, uh, for her, but she is still a nag. That's the fruit of my life. Well, what that does, it, it reveals my choices. I chose to say that. I chose to make that statement. Well, what does, that, what does that choice to make an unkind statement like that reveal? Well, it reveals my belief system. I believe that I need to choose to say this to you. You are, in this case, this illustration, you are a nag. What does that reveal? It reveals my, my motive. The, the gentleman earlier in the previous slide has a conditional motive. My motivation is if I do all these good things for you, then you should do this for me. And so that's my motivation that builds out a belief system that's going to lead to why I am even serving you and the fruit of my life. The service in my life is it's a skew. Uh, it has impure motives, and those motives will reveal what I think about God, and of course, my relationship with God is deficient, 
if it exists at all. And because my relationship with God is deficient, it uh, twists my motives, which alters my beliefs, that gives me uh, impure choices that I make that leads to improper fruit. Therefore, this is what Jesus was saying, the fruit reveals the heart. The fruit reveals the heart, or the heart reveals the fruit. This is a schematic that will help you to walk through. You look at the statement that a person made. I've done all this, and she is still a nag. That's the fruit in this individual's life. And as you back if you trace that down to the heart, you will find that they have a deficient relationship with God. If their relationship with God was right, their motivations would be right, which would give them a proper belief system, which would lead to proper biblical choices, which would lead to a different kind of fruit in their life. You can uh, stop the video if you wish and put your phone over the QR code here, and you can download uh, this version of that graphic. We're talking about trusting God's Word to affect us. I have been speaking about the motivation, why we do what we do, and the proper reason for doing the things that we do. Let me give you a quick animation of what that looks like from a culture's perspective and then also from a Christian's perspective. The culture will begin with good feelings, and of course, if that is your starting point, that's going to lead to wrong thinking, which will pour into wrong actions, which ultimately typically leads to intimacy, and then out of that intimacy, it leads to commitment. And you can see how this is built on a house of sand, because once those feelings are gone, if the feelings disappear, then everything collapses and the commitment breaks. This is a typical cultural view of what love looks like. The Christian's view begins differently. You begin with a commitment. I am committed to God. I'm going to build a proper relationship with God. Out of that proper relationship with God, I'm going to build proper relationships with other people. And so there will be some uh, commitments that will be made, and those commitments will lead to biblical thinking. It will lead to proper actions. In our most intimate relationship, it will lead to intimacy with our spouses in this case. And then, of course, there will be good feelings that will flow out of this structure. And as you can see, there will be times when the good feelings go away, but it doesn't break the commitment of the relationship. Now, you could translate the word intimacy here in this uh, structure as just having an intimate relationship with a person as far as transparency and honesty and just building a normal relationship with a, another human being, and there will be good feelings that will flow out of that quality relationship. But again, you will do things wrong. You'll sin against each other. Remember, expectations among the fallen, our expectations will, will not always be met, and those feelings will go away. We might not be as intimate as we used to be, but it doesn't break down to the point to where we have to break the commitment in the relationship. And so the Christian's view is much stronger and is better uh, than building the culture's review of relationship. You could say it this way. Love is a commitment accompanied by actions without a conditional demand for something in return. That goes back to the previous diagram that I was showing that we don't place demands. We should expect 
reciprocality. We should expect people to do good things in return for things that we do for them, but it's not a conditional demand. Some people will say love is a commitment accompanied by action with no expectation of anything in return. That would be inaccurate. We should expect things in return, but it's not a conditional demand, meaning we are not controlled if they do not return or respond well to the love that we pour into their lives. And so you can download this graphic if you wish by putting your camera over the QR code. Trusting God's Word without a robust theology of suffering, we will set ourselves up for patterns of bitterness, anger, disappointment, frustration, criticism, blaming, and much more. We must be on constant watch and exercise vigilance by taking our souls to task regarding how our worldview of expectations compete against a God-centered worldview of expectations. Let's wrap up by looking at motive for relationships. Some relationships will improve as you continue to build in them. Some relationships will not improve to your satisfaction. Go back to the relationship map that I showed in lesson number one. That will be vital uh, because everybody will be on that map at different places. And then some relationships are for restorative purposes. Could it be that God has brought you into this relationship, not so much for what you will get out of it, but what you can pour into it? Some relationships never meet the high mark of intimacy that I have been describing here, but they aren't supposed to. God brings people into your lives so that you can show them the love of God for restorative purposes. And so our motivation for relationships, we need to be vigilant about how we think about our motives because once they get off center, uh, we can start being disappointed in people and that can lead to some bad places. The big idea in this lesson number two, the sufficiency of Scripture means we can trust God's command regarding relationships, whether others treat us right or not. Lesson number two is trusting God's Word. Please pray for our ministry. Follow us on our social media platform. Share our content with 1,000 of your closest friends. If you're able to support or donate to our ministry, please do that. Uh, we need more people partnering with us in this gospel adventure. We do give our resources most of our resources away freely. We can only do that by the support and generosity of the Christian community. If you're interested in our training, then uh, you can put your uh, phone, your camera over this QR code, and it will walk you through uh, what it what entails in being a mastermind student, our all-online training course. This is lesson number two, Trusting God's Word, the Friendship Series, Building Quality Relationships. Thank you so much. My name is Rick Thomas. You can find me at lifeovercoffee.com, where we are having conversations for transformation. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.